0: Hello, and thank you for joining me for today's episode of Big Ideas in Eating Disorders. In this series, we hear from people in the field of eating disorders who share with us their personal and professional journeys, their experiences, their reflections, and ideas that never quite get represented this way in the standard academic publications and conferences. I'm Kathy Pike, Professor of Psychology at Columbia University, and I am a host of big ideas in eating disorders. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Hans Hoek. Dr. Hoek is clinical psychiatrist at an eating disorders program in the Hague and professor of psychiatry at University of Groningen in the Netherlands. And also works in a clinical capacity in the Department of Migrants and Refugees in Utrecht. Uh, Dr. Hoek is also on faculty at Columbia University in New York City. He's a busy man. Dr. Hoke has focused on psychiatric epidemiology across a range of disorders. We'll hear about his work, how he got to psychiatric epidemiology, and some big ideas that he has that have developed over the course of his career. Dr. Hoke was former president of the Eating Disorders Research Society and serves on the editorial board of the Preeminent Eating Disorder Journals. We're really thrilled to have you here today, Hans. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started at the beginning uh, in your growing up years. And when you first had an inkling that you were interested in psychiatry, mental health and epidemiology.
1: Yeah, actually as a schoolboy, I already wanted to become a doctor and especially a doctor of tropical medicine, probably read uh, some exciting books about it. But this idea stayed till I finished high school and then I wanted to to become a doctor. But unfortunately, in the Netherlands, you had a lottery system, which meant that uh, if you finished a certain level of high school, everybody could enter the medical school, but it was a lottery. So I had bad luck for two years. And then I thought, what should I study? Either biology or psychology. And then I choose for psychology to, yeah, to learn better, to understand people, because I thought people are, can be very complicated. And <laughs> the third year, um, I, I had good luck. I was entered in the uh, medical school. And also, I continue to study psychology because I like to study very much. But I still wanted to become a doctor in tropical medicine. So I did a lot of work for three years as a student in the department of surgery. And then um, I did an internship for three months in Suriname. And that made my change my mind a little bit. Um, I was three months involved in uh, helping women to deliver their babies. But I noticed that there were so much cultural differences between the um, uh, different ethnic groups in how they uh, experienced this process.
0: Hans, could you tell us about Suriname? What was it like when you were there?
1: Suenam was, um, this hostel was a uh, an old hostel where the poor people could come and there were that many deliveries and there hardly was any men uh, present, which, which would be very different from the Netherlands. But there were coming Indian people, Creole uh, people from uh, the city, but also from the inland the inland people from 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 the the jungle, they could be nearly dying from pain, and they didn't give any sound. While other people from the city, they give lots of sound, and were it was a quite exciting happening at all. But the difference were, yeah, for me very interesting. But also, I, I went also into the jungle. I noticed, I mean, it's not nothing wrong with being a doctor in um, a tropical country as a Western doctor and to help people. But the real people who did something were the people who took care of clean water, uh, all kinds of public health measures. And also the people who trained local people. So I decided maybe it's not the best way to, to do something for the world. I mean, kind of fancy uh-huh. something. And then I did my uh, internship in Curaçao, a Caribbean island, um, for over a year. And then I decided, yeah, the most fascinating profession would be psychiatry for me, because mm-hmm. really every patient was different. And, and, and surgery, I noticed, yeah, some it looks more the same. You didn't have the time to talk really uh, with um, people. So I returned to the Netherlands uh, to become a psychiatrist. But again, you had to wait several years before to enter the clinical training. And then I got the offer from from the government to become a psychiatric epidemiologist. At that time, there was no real epidemiology training program. And the government thought we need people in cardiology, in oncology and in psychiatry to be epidemiologists. So, I was involved in in, uh, my main team was schizophrenia at that time. But I also saw some other patients uh, being in in training for a psychiatric epidemiologist. And my very first patient as a medical doctor happened to be a patient with anorexia nervosa. And I was surprised. I mean, I was really shocked. How could this young woman starve herself? And then I asked for help because I didn't know anything about it. And in my whole institute, nobody knew anything about eating disorders. And uh, bulimia and isn't even known, but anaxofoza was uh, known in the literature for a long time already. Mm-hmm. So I had to read the literature, what can you do about anorexia? And then I read family mm-hmm. therapy and experience, I must say, but family therapy. And I tried to, to read how you do family therapy. And then I asked a social worker to help me had also no experience with eating disorders, but we did an eight months therapy and, uh, with the parents and this uh, this young woman and she recovered. Mm-hmm. But actually, I have no clue really what was the ingredient, what's made, I mean, the family therapy helped somehow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But also, I realized social factors are important too. So that's actually the theme of my whole work and then do it from an epidemiological perspective. What is mm-hmm. biological? what a psychological, what a social, cultural.
0: Hans, you said you started your training. Yes. With the intent to study schizophrenia, the epidemiology of schizophrenia. And then you had this patient with anorexia nervosa. I know you continued to study schizophrenia. How did these fields relate to each other as you were developing your expertise as a psychiatric epidemiologist?
1: Somehow they combined. So schizophrenia had a lot of supervisors and uh, for uh, eating disorders in my free time, actually in the evening, I was looking in in, data sets, what's happening with these women. And Mm -hmm. then I wrote a small paper, several small papers about patterns of care, for example, that they all came into the pediatric department or the internal medicine and mental health care didn't take care of them but schizophrenia yeah. was my main team mm-hmm. and in 86 I got a grant from the government to go for half a year to Columbia University in New York mm-hmm. and in the program of Bruce Dorn went but I also met Ezra Susser there and we started to conduct studies in the Netherlands he was already involved in it when I met him On the Dutch famine, you would say famine in the Netherlands, but in the Second World War, there was a huge famine, really disaster at the end of the Second World War. And we were interested in in the people who were born from mothers who were exposed to this famine, and these persons were exposed prenatally. So that was a very important study, which can tell a lot of it. But I also met in New York, Tim Walsh which made also a very much impression on me. So he was the head of the eating disorder department in New York State Psychiatric uh, Institute related to Columbia University. So these were very important kind of mentors for me. I okay. also got a small grant to go for a visit to the Institute of Psychiatry in London, which is the most famous Institute in, U- in Europe for research for schizophrenia, but I also met Janet Tresher there, which was also an important uh-huh. mentor for me uh, also, it was only a short visit there. So, this, all these two, these two schizophrenia research and eating disorders, helped me to advance also somewhat the field of eating disorders because the schizophrenia field is much older. It's a much stronger research tradition at that time already. Um, so, like this prenatal famine study, has had an impact how I think about mental disorders in general.
0: Right. So it sounds like in some ways, the field of eating disorders got very lucky that you had training in psychiatric psychiatric epidemiology in schizophrenia because the methodologies, the sophistication of the field in schizophrenia was something that you could bring to eating disorders that was just beginning to ask similar questions.
1: Yeah, Yeah. And in the Netherlands, uh, there was much more a need of somebody doing something in eating disorders than in schizophrenia. There were many people involved. Netherlands had a good tradition in schizophrenia research. So at some mm-hmm. point, um, there was this lack of treatment facilities. And actually, the queen got a lot of letters between Beatrix of the Netherlands at that time. She got a lot of letters from worried parents about their daughter dying. And uh, why? Mm-hmm. I don't know, specialist services. So they had to call abroad to Belgium, for example, or to England, some even to Australia, where they had good facilities. And they um, made an, a national health counter, made a committee, which I was part of. There were all kind of professors. But they didn't know a lot, professor of gynecology, professor of internal medicine, but they didn't have any experience actually with eating disorders. And I, as a junior doctor, even had, hadn't had my uh, psychiatry training at that moment, but had wrote a few papers. So in the line of blind people, there is one eye king. Uh, I was right. involved and we made a report which had a lot of impact in the Netherlands. So we had to develop specialist uh, centers and the government also gave me a lot of money to do studies on it to uh, and also to develop this uh, National Committee of Eating Disorders to develop specialist eating disorder centers in the Netherlands. So it had mm-hmm. a lot of impact and it also gave me money to do a lot of studies. Yeah.
0: So tell us what the first studies were that you did in terms of eating disorders, yeah. and epidemiology, what were the early findings?
1: I mean, imagine, for example, in the US, you couldn't do these kinds of studies. In the Netherlands, you have all this good registration system, whether it was for, to examine the effects of prenatal famine, but also this nationwide system covering 1% of the total Dutch population. And this primary care study, which is now four decades, brought us a lot of results, which are important. So one of the findings was the Mm -hmm. early findings in the mid-19s published that anorexia nervosa occurred in cities, rural areas, Um, and urbanized areas at the same rate. While bulimia nervosa, at that time, quite recently uh, classified disorder, was occurring five times more in cities than in rural areas, using the same methods all over the country.
0: So Hans, you conducted this research in the Netherlands. You see that bulimia nervosa is much more likely to occur in cities, anorexia nervosa across the country, you're developing these ideas around some differential influences of biology and environment potentially. And then I know you extended your research kind of going back to this global interest that you had in tropical medicine and went to Curacao. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. We were happened to be at QSL, I was a general medical doctor Mm -hmm. and I was involved uh, for a 20 year study of the total psychiatric inpatient population. And Mm -hmm. we followed them for 20 years for schizophrenia related research. And then I thought, well, I'm here every year. Why not study anaxophosa? and to prove that it doesn't exist here? Because as a general medical doctor, I hadn't heard about it. I never. I asked people, "Did you ever see a patient notice it?" And then we, we were, had access to the general hospital, and we searched. It was electronically possible, hundred forty-four thousand records of all kind of patients. Uh, they were admitted for surgery, etc. But we looked for people who had amenorrhea uh, or um, unexplained weight loss, and we found that there were cases. Um, also really anorexia and we wrote that up and um so So this is
0: based on clinical uh case or clinical clinical record review yeah yeah
1: Yeah. you're identifying cases
0: of anorexia nervosa i mean this is sort of this is a uh, real landmark finding because there had been assumptions like you say that you're not going to see eating disorders in a place like Curacao. Yeah. What yeah. was the
1: response to this finding? Well, it, it had several interesting responses. Um, first of all, it was published as a small paper in the New England Journal of Medicine, which gives us a lot of prestige. Mm-hmm. And the title was Anorexia is not culture bound. Uh-huh. And, uh, and at that time, I, I myself moved to the neurobiological field saying, hey, I edited uh, together with Janet Treasure and and Melanie Katzman a a huge volume on biological and neurobiology in in eating disorders. But we proved to be wrong. What did we wrong? I mean, um, um, we decided to do a a much larger study in Curaçao, following for four years all health facilities in Curaçao because it was published in in, uh, the New England Journal of Medicine. And also, the BBC made a small documentary about this study, saying how important it was. Everybody thought oh, it must be important, not because it was published, but they thought there must be something important. So there were 82 general practitioners involved in it. And when I talked about the study, I said, "Okay, we want to to participate in the study, so that all people with eating disorders, private psychologists, dietitians, everybody wanted to collaborate. We got a grant for it from QSL and from the Netherlands." And um, so, but we did find that our first study, the end result was not correct. What did we find? We didn't find a single case among the majority black population. So, eighty percent, to be exact, seventy-nine percent of the Kusau population has uh, are black people. Thirty percent are mixed, and seven percent are white, and Mm a small percent is Asian background. And we couldn't, in our first study, we couldn't know that because ethnicity is not political correct to record in the medical records. So we didn't Mm -hmm. know the, the ethnic background. We assumed from the names, sometimes you were at that time you had access to the names. Nowadays it's not possible anymore that. So the black population didn't have a single case and in the mixed and white population, the rates were exactly the same as at that time in the Netherlands and in the u s mm-hmm. in the myoclinic area study
0: so so now you've got data suggesting in fact culture is part of the story, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So tell and, and, us how that how you thinking evolved
1: well, so I had to change my mind, so no <laughs> single black case, and we did find uh women uh with bulimia nervosa with binge eating disorders um but we didn't find a single case so social factors are important
0: so you didn't find a single case of anorexia nervosa but you found cases of other disordered
1: yeah. among yeah. the black other, population. other eating disorders among the black population <coughs> other eating disorders yeah. Yeah. okay yeah.
0: so tell yeah. us this takes us I think it takes yeah. us to the big ideas that yeah, crystal yeah so please
1: share with yeah. us where you are on that. So in, in, in Curacao is a Caribbean country um, where you would say big is beautiful to um, people with a higher uh, body mass index and especially women are considered to be more beautiful than skinny people. So there's no pressure to be thin from the society. And mm-hmm mixed and white population had the same pressure. Uh, some com- com- came from the Netherlands or had studied in the Netherlands, had the same pressure as in Western countries. So I realized you need for to develop an eating disorders if you're vulnerable. So uh, actually it's the vulnerability stress model, which was important in the schizophrenia research. So you have the link Kent, to schizophrenia. At that time, there was a lot to do about vulnerability stress models. I actually realized that's probably the same for eating disorders. So you can be vulnerable by genes, also by sometimes uh, prenatal events um, and by childhood maltreatment that has been proven at that time already in several studies, and especially sexual abuse at a young age and as a child, but also later in life, of course has an enormous impact, this traumatic experience to the risk of developing eating disorders. But so you have a vulnerable person. If there's no pressure, no social impact um, on, on um, to be slim, for example, but are other factors important, uh, then um, you the risk of developing an eating disorder or anorexia I should be specific, anorexia is small, and we see that in in nowadays you do a lot of meta analysis Meta analysis about uh, in Africa and Latin America, you have done it in in Asia and Arabia yourself, and we see that in Latin America and Africa, anorexia nervosa is a very very rare disorder, while bulimia nervosa is the same frequency as in Europe and North America. And binge eating disorder is occurring even more frequently in Latin America and Africa. So Mm -hmm. if there is a pressure to be sin, uh, you can develop, develop, you have a a risk of developing an eating disorder much more than if there's no pressure on sin. But of course, you have to be a vulnerable person to develop this eating disorder, this unaction of especially.
0: So Hans, from a psychiatric epidemiology perspective, how important do you think it is to know how much is genetics and how much is environment? And can you really separate them?
1: I mean, in, in the beginning of this century, in the schizophrenia research, you had this idea, it's a matter of time, 10 years eh, uh, before we, um, we know the genes for schizophrenia. It has not proven to be correct. We still don't know that. I mean, and mm-hmm. um, for anaxophosa and other eating disorders, we don't know that either. I mean, we have a clue which genes might be involved, but there's no real answer yet. Um, while we know that social factors and, and uh, pressure, uh, social pressure on, on adolescents, are very much important so we have a new study now conducted we haven't published yet but we have just submitted it to to a journal um in where we followed uh, for forty years what's happening in um in in the Netherlands with eating disorders and we did find for the first time a significant increase in the young adolescent girls ten to fourteen mm-hmm. years old
0: that's well, really That's an increase in anorexia nervosa or all
1: eating disorders? In new cases. In new cases of anorexia nervosa.
0: Anorexia nervosa.
1: nervosa And the same study go down. But that's another story. For Uh adolescent girls, it's hard to to find something like that on a population level that has a real significant increase. And we are puzzled now, what could be the explanation? Right. Because overall, the... Incidence in anorexia has been rather stable over decades in the study. Also in previous studies, um, and the only explanation I could find um, is is, is so the role of social media. And Mm -hmm. we looked also at biological factors. So the age of puberty has gone down for about three months per decade, but that could only explain. Maybe one year after four four decades, so the real impact what happened in 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 the uh, uh, two thousand tens and two thousand till two thousand twenty when we find this uh, this finding, is the huge impact of social media. Um, and internet is already longer there, but social mm-hmm. media, uh, this Instagram, for example, this is an enormous change in. Um, the impact all these adolescent women and, and boys also, but especially a young, how young we are, this impact of all these images, this continuous peer ratings on all kinds of social activities, and and uh, it has an enormous impact. We see also in the clinics that it has an enormous impact on our patients. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Hans, I'm really struck by the findings that you share from Curacao and the most recent findings from the Netherlands in that you are describing a very intricate relationship between uh, biological or genetic vulnerability and social environmental exposures and you you said you wrote this paper an early paper saying anorexia nervosa is not culture bound but you had to change your mind yes. so as you as you look forward and you see this dance between biology genetics maybe some epigenetic vulnerability that occurs and environment what What are the particular either methodologies that we need to follow or questions that the next generation of researchers can or should be asking from your
1: perspective? I think the most important thing to to do that is to do cohort studies. So follow um, uh, people, children doing life and see who develops an eating disorder and who not. Um mm-hmm. and, and we're actually doing that in, in, in two cohorts. One cohort started at the age of 11 and is now uh in the late 20s. And we see what factors have impact on, on developing an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And also, follow an, a cohort, Generation R Rotterdam, in, in Rotterdam, where we follow 8,000. The babies of 8,000 women, we which we screened already before uh, doing pregnancy. So we made echoes for echoes of of the brain and to see. And they're now 15, and um, we can see. Uh, we already did studies on on uh, picky eating and ARFID related uh, behavior uh, to see what what what's what's the impact on and the for example the comorbidity of autism. The um uh, artistic, uh, spectrum disorders and eating behavior. Um, so that gives a lot of information. I think people should follow that um that line of, of cohort studies are very informative. Um mm-hmm. and also, I think, of course, especially for Anax and Foza good treatment studies to do mm-hmm. randomized control treatment. Up till now they don't show a lot of differences between the different treatment programs. So that's not a line, but that's not specifically mm-hmm. epidemiological, but it's treatment related. Yeah. But you use mm-hmm. epidemiological methods to, to study that.
0: So cohort studies as a methodology, really following the the biology and the environmental factors to tell a more full story. Yeah. So, You you started out saying you were really interested in tropical medicine. You thought that early in your career, you're studying schizophrenia. Within 10 years, we would know the genetic basis of schizophrenia, and that would be the whole story. Of course, that hasn't been the case. Kind of similar assumptions around anorexia nervosa. There was a moment in time where we thought, will understand the genetic risk, and that's going to tell the story. It doesn't tell the whole story. Yeah. So your, as I hear it, your uh, big idea around this interaction between environment and biology is quite nuanced and nuanced around when biology matters, when environment matters, and how they interact and how they interact differently for different expressions of eating disorder. Yes, Is that, is that accurate?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a quite good
0: uh, summary. As you look back on your career, is there something that especially surprised you?
1: Well, maybe how complicated uh, the human... Biology and social interactions with people are, which, um, and and our optimism in the past to find the answers for everything and to be able to solve everything, which, of course, is a yeah, a dream which you want to keep, but it won't be possible, I think. Um, I mean, if you look back, um, I think what helped me a lot, and that's what I also like myself to, to do, is that I had a lot of good mentors, not at the beginning. Like I told you about this first anorexia nephrosa patient, I had nobody to go. Uh, but in mm-hmm. later in life, I had these good mentors in, in, in other countries, like Tim Walls, Janet Tresher, and others, and also in schizophrenia research. And that helped a lot. But also in clinical work, I had, later on, I had good good mentors, supervisors, and I'm happy that I was always also able to to, um, train a lot of doctors. So hundreds of doctors have trained to become a psychiatrist. And Mm -hmm. that makes me happy and gives a lot of satisfaction. And my advice to to young people in the field would be look for good mentors. Um, Mm -hmm. Don't invent the wheel yourself all the time. you have to find your own way, but you look for good mentors, which helps a lot. And what makes me happy is, for example, one thing I did was, I did my, I told you, I did my first training in, 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 in my first internship in Sweden. And at the end, I was able to half of the psychiatrists, uh, there are 10 psychiatrists in Sweden, and half of them are trained by me and my colleagues, which makes me happy that I did had an impact. I had them come over to the Netherlands, Uh trained them for several years, and then they are back now. And and so education helps a lot. Um, And so, yeah, for for young people, good training to become uh, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, especially for eating disorders, because it's complicated.
0: You and I share an interest in looking at mental health, looking at eating disorders globally. By doing the work that you've done in a variety of contexts from Curaçao to Africa, to various parts of Europe, what's the particular value add of global work?
1: Advantage for for, uh, uh, other countries is to get training from experienced professionals, either in, in clinical work or research, to um, help them um, develop their their, um, yeah, their skills and, and their uh, programs. And we can learn a lot also from other countries, of course.
0: So just in wrapping up, Hans, I wonder if you have any further thoughts for the next generation of researchers, the new and next generations of researchers Questions that you hope they will take on and continue to address?
1: I think it's important. It, it's very dem- demanding also to treat especially anoxonephosa. I, I see a lot of psychiatrists are not that much interested in it. They find it very frustrating to treat a person with anoxonephosa. I mean, you see if if a person with anoxonephosa is admitted at a general ward, the, the team gets all Kind of conflicts about it, so it's really hard to treat. So, um, I think that's it's specifically a disorder, it needs specialist care. So, you have to be trained properly to, to treat um, people with eating disorders and especially anorexia, get good mentors, um, and be curious, I have this curiosity, this real interest in, 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 um in the patient, and I also say to the many doctors I trained, take care of yourself too, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I train more doctors than, than psychologists, but the doctors always say, take care of yourself first. You can only be a good doctor if you take care of yourself. Um, because if you have 24 hours on duty, uh, you cannot be the 25th hour, you cannot be a good doctor or a good professional any anyhow. and. Um, mm-hmm. Also, more in a general way, take care of yourself. Also, to um, because it's tough, tough profession. I think psychiatry, psychology, clinical psychologist, and treating eating disorders um, requires, yeah, persistence. Same persistence as the patient has to continue this behaviour. You have to have yourself to to willing to treat and to try to help recovery. Fantastic.
0: Well, Hans, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure. We really appreciate your uh, being part of this discussion and uh, greatly appreciate your willingness and your your persistence over the decades in terms of contributing as a psychiatric epidemiologist and clinician. You have really helped us understand a lot about the work we do and the the folks
1: who develop eating disorders. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk on this uh, talk.
0: Thanks.